go, yes, we rotate. 360 degrees, high, high, 360 degrees, high, high, 306, 306, 360 degrees, high, high. Hey, 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 welcome everyone. Broadcasting live from Hu Chin, occupied Ohlone territory, also known to settlers as the East Bay Area. This is Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine, produced, engineered, and hosted by members of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. I am your host tonight, Freewell and Franklin. And tonight, we're going to talk about addictions to drugs and alcohol and overcoming them. In 2005, I kicked a 10-year addiction to meth. And on tonight's show, I'll share my story entitled The Glass Pipe, Two Friends' Journey Through Meth Addiction. Also, we'll speak with our special guest, Ozzy, who will share her experience, strength, and hope as we reach out to others still struggling with addiction. And we'll open up the phone lines for you to share your personal experiences with addictions. And finally, we, the First Voice Apprenticeship Program, is still accepting applications. Yes, we extended our deadline. Our website was down, so in order to accommodate folks that had trouble applying, the window is still open. We'll talk about all that and more tonight on Full Circle. Stay tuned. All right, all right, all right. Welcome again to Full Circle. I am your host, Freewell and Franklin. And as I just mentioned in the intro, tonight we are talking about addiction. But even more importantly, we're talking about recovery. In my personal life, I have been spending time in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous uh, with a close family friend. This most recent experience has, again, opened my eyes to the way these 12-step programs, AA and NA, help people on a daily basis. Without these programs, many addicts and alcoholics will end up in hospitals, jails, or institutions, and they could be considered the lucky ones because many do not, uh, many do not get a second, third, or even fourth chance, and they end up dying of their disease. So tonight, we want to share our experience, strength, and hope in order to help get the word out to the alcoholics and addicts that still suffer. Something I also mentioned in the intro is that I am a recovering addict. I was going to say I spent 10 years of my life addicted to meth, but it's probably more appropriate to say that I actually wasted 10 years of my life addicted to meth. I was hiding in dark places, using with addicts in back rooms, garages, and bathrooms, but I finally beat it, and I produced a radio story about it. Um, this is my story. It's called The Glass Pipe, Two Friends Journey Through Met, uh, Meth Addiction. We'll check this out, and when we return... We'll discuss with our, um, we'll return for some discussion, excuse me, with our special guest, Ozzy and myself. So stay tuned. Tonight, I want to talk about the glass pipe. And smoking meth. And how my best friend and I traveled the same road, smoking dope and partying and not thinking much about our futures and how the choices we made affected us then and are still affecting us now. 
It must have started around the early or mid-90s. I'm not quite sure. But at that time, the pipe was new to me and my friend. It was exciting at the time, you know what I mean? It was, it was something different, and it was, I don't know, it was just something new, and, and we were having a good time doing it. It was fun. There's a lot of girls around. There's a lot of things I haven't never seen before, like wasn't used to, just smoking weed and stuff like that, you know what I mean? It was just a whole different type of life, and it was fun at first, real fun. It was much fun at first. We were staying up late all night. We felt invincible, but there was a dark side. Well, I've been going to jail a lot because of it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a criminal, but uh, just being, just, just using dope, you know what I mean? Making that choice to use dope or have it on me or whatever like that has put me in jail a lot. Um, I've lost places to live because of dope. I've lost girlfriends. Fighting relationships all the time, fighting. You can't trust nobody. It makes it all bad. After a while, man, it's just like you need it to just feel normal. Then you're getting high. It wasn't fun like it was at first anymore. It's just it's just kind of like you need it for like a subsistence, you know what I'm saying? First it was just curious, now now it's subsistence because you just need it to just like feel normal when you get up in the morning. If you don't, you feel all dizzy and feel weird and just like that and you can't uh, feel like you can't cope. It's all bad, man. It's all bad. Like my friend says, the fun surely did fade. The trips in and out of the county jail were more frequent. The pipe wasn't just something we wanted anymore. It was something we needed. In time, the need was so great, we were just starting to blow up everything for the pipe. It was ruining us. I'd go to sleep at 4 in the morning and just wake up at 5, and I'd wake up at 7.30, so I'd lose a job. That screwed me. I'd put off bills, bills for my water, bills for my rent, get my rent late all the time. Even though I had the money 20 times in my hand, I never, you know, I was late for on all my bills. All my bills, have, they have to be, like, either shut off or someone has to, uh, you know, I either have to go down and pay them to get it turned back on or something like that. I, I never pay nothing, like, in the mail on time. It's, you know what I'm saying? Always, even if I got the money, I just don't want to, you know, run out of money, spend it all on this bill, and then not have enough for my sack, you know what I'm saying? And and selling, selling it, I've, I've sold it. I haven't done anything criminal, I, I can say that, because I was raised good, you know what I'm saying? But I haven't done anything, like... You know, like rob people or rip off stuff from people, you know what I'm saying? Stuff like that. And I, I do it. I, I work hard for my, for my money and I spend it on dope, but I've always done it like that. But but still, man, it makes it tough to it makes it tough to keep a job. And then, you know what I'm saying? Because you, you're there, you're late, you're always, you know, in a rush. There's always there's always a problem. There's always some sort of drama going on. You know what I'm saying? Your boss doesn't want to hear it. It's like you're working so hard and it's really so easy. You know what I'm saying? You just, I do three times as much work to get where you need to go. It's like running backwards or something. I don't know. It's, being late with bills was a constant for me as well. And the illusion was I was just struggling to get by. But the reality was all my money was going to the pipe. And like my friend says, robbing and stealing wasn't really our thing. But dealing and putting ourselves in places we should never be just to get a fix wasn't past us. Guns and violence were just a step away. Yeah, man, you just want to, you know, you want to get a sack or you want to get high you know, or whatever, you know what I'm saying? So sometimes you just go by somebody's house and, you know, you're not knowing where you're going. You're just with somebody and, oh, we can go get high over here. Next thing you know, you're in with a bunch of gang members or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Or prison gang guys, you know what I'm saying? Or prison guys, just bad people, man, that, that maybe aren't the same as you and me, you know, where we worked or whatever, you know what I'm saying? And we were kind of honest, you know what I'm saying? But we just wanted to get high and we were addicts, you know what I'm saying? They were like all about crank and money and, and it's scary sometimes it was scary man you put yourself in other elements and sometimes you have to like you know try to act a certain way or be a little different than you really are you know what i'm saying just to, you know what i'm saying to feel comfortable being there you know what i'm saying it's, it's not cool man i mean if i had a kid right now 
I never let want him to ever try it. You know? After years of using meth together, smoking the pipe, our trails parted. Him moving to Martinez in Washington and me staying in Antioch. And although we were apart, we both continued on the same destructive course, smoking dope, dealing dope, and going to jail. And at the same time, we were also dealing with another side effect of the pipe, the isolation from our families. Thing is, I don't talk to my family. <laughs> when I'm on the pipe, I don't talk to my family at all. I haven't seen my dad, and he's in Washington State. I haven't seen my dad since I came back down to California in 2001. I haven't seen him. I haven't even seen my dad. You know what I'm saying? And, and he's getting older, and I should. I haven't. I, I didn't talk to my mom for my birthday this year or for Christmas last year. I haven't talked to my mom for like almost a year, probably. My mom and dad. I haven't even talked to him because I was clean for a year and a half. And I was talking to him every day. I would call my mom every day, just calling her about stupid stuff like recipes and stuff like that to make some food or something like that. You know what I mean? Now I don't even talk to my mom because because I'm on that dope and I don't I don't want to associate with my family because it's a big secret. But they all know when they look you you know when you look them in the eye, they can look right at you and tell that you're on the pipe still. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's no big secret. I just don't talk to them, so the secret's out. You know what I mean? They know what's up. And they pray for me and stuff like that, and they love me. And they want me to do good. And they want me to be off that pipe, you know, more than ever. But uh, I just don't talk to them, so I can't help it, man. I just, Right now, times are tough. Work's hard to get right now, and if I can get a sack right now and, and pawn off a little bit, it feels like I'm doing something, you know what I'm saying, and make a little money here or whatever, or enough to support my habit. Why not? I mean, I'm not, I got 20 years in the union, and I, I don't got a job right now because it's ridiculous, you know what I mean? But uh, I can make excuses all day long. I know I should be on it, and my life would be better probably if I was off it, you know what I'm saying? The loss of years not spent with our closest family members can never be brought back. I, too, feel that pain. Personally, one thing I regret the most is the time I missed with the kid who would later become my stepson because I had myself locked in the bedroom or in the garage smoking dope. Those days can't be brought back. Like tens of thousands of other people in the world, the pipe has held us back. It has definitely put the brakes on my life as far as any, any type of success, success I wanted, you know what I mean? I mean, there's people my age. If I went to my 20s reunion right now, you know what I mean? There's people that own businesses and, and have houses and properties and are doing really well. And, and uh, since, since I started hitting the pipe, it's put my, it's put my anything I, I had going as far as big plans for a career or anything like that way on hold. I mean, I'm ridiculous right now. You know I mean? I'm four years old and uh, got no money in the bank, don't own nothing, living in a motorhome in my friend's backyard ridiculous the thing is the pipe had put the brakes on our lives we were really stuck at the same place we were 10 years ago or even back a few steps but here's where our stories change because in 2005 with the help of my family I was able to beat the pipe 
and it definitely wasn't easy. It meant not associating with anyone who used meth, which meant I suddenly had no friends. And getting up and going to work without my normal motivation was a great struggle. But I made it. But I also ain't seen my best friend in quite some time. Until we met up again so we could tell our stories. I have to say, it did hurt me deeply to see my best friend still in the same situation we were four years ago. I had to ask what it might take him to give up the pipe. I have no idea. I don't know, man. Should have quit it a long time ago, man. Should have quit it when you quit it. We should have quit it before together a long time ago. I thought you quitting it was going to make me quit it. It just made me not talk to you. <laughs> I miss out on all of those good years, you know what I mean? We were really tight, and, uh, and I really don't know what's, what's going to take to make me quit. You know, there's no place to go but up now from where I'm at right now, so... I quit before because I had an ankle monitor on, and I quit cold turkey. I couldn't believe I did that, but I did. I don't know, maybe take an ankle monitor again to get me started. And I think I'm I'm on the road to get an ankle monitor here pretty quick. So when I get when I get off the ankle monitor, stay away from it, and uh, it's probably going to be what I have to do. Either that or go to jail with that threat, not do it. And then when I get out, prepare myself for when I get off that, prepare myself for the place where I'm not going to be around it, and I can just keep on trucking on that good foot. You know what I mean? Keep on trucking on the good foot. Like my friend says, staying away from people who do it is key, but it always seems hard to stay away. You have to constantly tell people who come by that you've quit and to not come by anymore. You'll be fighting the battle constantly to rise up. But it is a battle we all can win. My first few days off the pipe, I went to NA meetings, Narcotics Anonymous. There, I heard people with similar stories to mine tell me what helped get them through rough times. And that helped me get through some of my rough times. You know, with all my heart, I pray for you, my friend, to make it. And for all of you to make it. Before I left my friend, I got some last words. If anybody's out there listening, man, don't try it. Meth is, is no good, man. It's, it'll suck you in at first, and you'll you'll find it fun and exciting and stuff like that, but it ain't that exciting. I'll tell you what, having a family and having a place to live and, and your bills paid and stuff like that, and, and that, you know what I mean, being able to go on a vacation and you want to do what you want to do because you got that money and, and no stress, it's way better than what we've talk, been talking about. I mean, it's, it's, it's not that fun, and it's overrated, and it's just all bad. It's bad. It's all bad. Just don't do it. Leave it alone. Especially don't pick up the pipe. The pipe has its own little mystique and aura about it, man. It'll suck you in and makes half the fun just handling the pipe. You know what I'm saying? And blowing a pipe and, and whatever, man. It's just stay away from it. It's the devil, man. For real. Don't do it. Leave it alone. Smoke weed. Now that you've heard our stories, and I know they might be dark or bleak, but remember, there is light out there. I beat this thing, and I know you can. And you can. And you can. I'll leave you with these words, which I heard late night, one night when I was out in the garage tweaking, locked in. I heard a man say, even if you're doing what you don't want to be doing right now, keep it in your mind that you want to quit. And think about that every time. 
Also, tell your family. Get them involved. You'll have to seek out help because the people you're surrounded by won't tell you to quit. You have to say it yourself, then do it. And to my friend, I miss you so much. I hope to see you again soon so we can hang out like we used to. Until then, here's some voices from some people in recovery telling us what it means to them to be clean. Being clean means to me is, you know, it, it, it's got me a life back with my family. You know, it's got people to where they would trust me. You know, it's just given me a better outlook on life. And, you know, I'm not out to just hurt people anymore. You know, I'm, I, I've got, feel, you know, it's gave me actually feelings back, you know. Just, it's given me a better life altogether, all the way around, you know, even though things happen still and you have bad days it's just things are better recovery rocks i mean it's it's uh it is my worst day clean is much better than my best day using it's changed my life and i am so thankful that i have been relieved of the desire to use you know everything about my life is totally different than it was before all my decision making everything I mean, it meant a lot. It means everything in the world to me, bro. Look, I got my family. I got my little seven-year-old little girl. Anything I ever wanted came to me just by not using and working the steps. Um, it meant to get my life back. You know, I mean, I went from living on the streets to having a house, being married, and lots of blessings, lots of miracles, real friends, an actual get. You know, I mean, I do things that I never thought I would do before. Just little things that seem stupid, you know what I mean? But they're not. Um, I'm getting my kids back. That's a big blessing, so. To be clean, it gave me a purpose in life. No matter what you did or who you are, God loves you. You can be the worst scandalous, dope fiend shooting, murderous thing on this earth, and God still loves you. So with that, he gave me purpose. And with that purpose, I stay clean. Uh, it means having my family. I have five girls from 20 to down to um, one. And um, my 13-year-old actually left because me and my husband were doing drugs. And now um, she's ready to come back, and everything is just beautiful. But before, we didn't have our pg &E on. We were getting kicked out of our house. It was miserable. Being clean is just being willing to change your life and do one thing, and one, take it one day at a time. You know what I mean? If you really want to change your life, Stay clean, a lot of things will come for you. For Full Circle, this is Free Will and Franklin. and Franklin back here and you are listening to Full Circle right here on 94.1 FM. Yes, I am your host, Phil and Franklin, and that was part of my story um, of addiction to meth. I'm glad to say that with the help of my family and NA, 
I have been clean now of meth since 2005. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I um, I can now say that I've been freed from the burden of wanting to use. And I'm around 14 years and four months, and I'm looking forward to 15 years, which will also mark 15 years at KPFA. Woo! I actually got into KPFA right when I came out of my addiction, so it really got me into a whole new circle. Um, but now I have sitting next to me a very special guest, and I wanted to bring my special guest in, Ozzy. How are you doing, Ozzy? I'm doing great today. Thank Thanks. you for having me. Um, well, um, Ozzy, thank you for being here, Ozzy. I appreciate you coming in to help share tonight. And Ozzy is someone I recently met, and she has been an inspiration to me and a whole bunch of people um, that I have been seeing. So again, welcome, Ozzy, to the KPFA Airwaves. I'm glad you're here. Thank you. Thank you. And first, I'd just like um, to let you express um, what comes to your mind uh, when you get to hear uh, stories like that, like my story. Well, first of all, it just takes me back to the elusiveness of using drugs and that um, we continuously try to chase that first high. And, you know, it's an, it's elusive, you know, and finding your bottom and, and really reaching that bottom and realizing what your bottom is and wanting to do something different but not knowing how, you know, but then to finding that there was a light at the end of that tunnel, you know, because there is sobriety, you know, but we have to put, we have to do some things. You have to do the work, work, work? Absolutely. There's some work. Well, speaking of the work, let's um, talk about some of these 12-step programs like AA and NA. Um, a quick little blurb from the Alcoholics Anonymous preamble is Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that we may solve our common problem and help others recover from alcoholism. And the only requirement for membership is the desire to stop drinking. And that goes for NA as desire to stop using. Um, experience, strength, and hope, Ozzy, um, that's what we're all about. Would you like to uh, tell us a little bit about your journey? What was your life like before NA and AA? Well, I was totally miserable. And I had a lot of issues that started as a child. Uh, feelings of insecurity, feelings of abandonment. And all of those things I internalized and resulted in no self-esteem. I was pretty smart going to school. And once I... Uh, got old enough to leave home, I began to dibble and dabble recreationally. And it was fun, just like your story. It was fun in the beginning. But I found early on that I would often get ill when using different chemicals, specifically the alcohol. Uh, and I found with my addiction, which was I was a heroin addict for a number of years. And for me, my getting and using was my primary objective. You know, I I did some things that I'm not proud of. You know, I had did I did a lot of uh, geographics, moving around, thinking that if I just moved someplace different, I could stop using the drugs. I could get off of it. But I had chosen a specific lifestyle, and my lifestyle had a criminal element to it. And so that meant, you know, we partied, we had the cocaine, we'd have the the heroin or whatever the drugs of choice were. So it was like a fun type environment. But once I got caught up into that elusive trap, you know, there was nothing that I wouldn't do for that drug, you know. And 
by it being fun initially, it became catastrophic in that I needed those drugs just to feel normal, you know. And what it also did for me, it took my voice. It took my ability to say no. It took my ability to really um, connect with my family members because I was embarrassed, you know. So doing a lot of geographics because I didn't want my family to know. And I had children. I had children and I had a daughter when I was in New York because one of my geographics, you know, and that daughter was born addicted to heroin, you know, and that was very devastating to me, very embarrassing, but I I couldn't stop because then I had another child, you know, and I was addicted. And then, you know, it just was a vicious cycle and I couldn't get off. And what I needed to do for my addiction, I needed to get out there and get some money, you know, so there was nothing that I wouldn't do if I needed to get my fix, you know, nothing. So, um, you know, I, in my story, I talked about um, wasting 10 years of my life. In fact, I have, um, I've raised a child who I felt like I nearly neglected to use, you know, to be locked in the garage. Um, uh, one particular story is I was out back kicking the soccer ball with him for, you know, a little while. And then I was like, oh, I need to get back to my pipe, right? So what is my um, addicted mind? I grabbed a pail of paint and I painted a soccer goal on the fence and I put a stick figure me in the middle. And I said, all right, go ahead and practice and I'll be back. And there I'm, I'm gone to the garage. So, yeah, it's a it's a it's a horrible thing. The things that you do for your addiction, um, like if you feel um, safe sharing, what was it that just drove you to the end and said, I need to change? I need something And then what did you do to pull yourself together? Well, I made quite a few trips to prison. And um, as the prison industry changed and the way that they were doling out time, because even going to prison at one time was, was fun. And then after there came a point with the penal system, with the three strikes and giving more time for different offenses, there was a different generation of uh, younger people coming in. And I was privy to work in uh, the receiving office where I did the photography and the fingerprints. So I would see these women coming back and leaving, you know, and coming back, knocking on the door of the prison. And it just, it just, something's, this is not right. But, you know, one of my jobs, I was, uh, I had to do some time. I was extradited to another state and I worked for a substance abuse counselor. And during that job, I would go over and I would set chairs up and I would make the arrangements for the event. And I'd also sit and listen to the stories. And I happened to hear a story so similar to mine. And with that story, I heard that there was hope, that there was a way that I could beat this thing. You know, because I wanted to stop, but I couldn't. I was obsessive. It was compulsive. You know, and there was nothing that I would not do. That was amazing. There was nothing. You know, so when I heard my story, I definitely wanted to do something different. And that was a catalyst for me beginning working for that substance abuse counselor because I started getting the basis of what it was like. And eventually, when I paroled, I was about to do what I call another geographic. And instead of doing that geographic, something just said, no, go to the rooms, go to AA, find AA. And and I did. I went and I found the rooms. And I went into the rooms and people didn't look like me. 
you know, but they, I kept hearing the things that I wanted. You know, there were things that they read in the meetings that was so inspiring, like the promises. And I clung to the promises because it was said if I did certain things, this, this is what would happen. And one of the most important thing was that I could find peace and serenity. And I didn't have that, but I really, really wanted to be peaceful and serene. And that's what got me to changing my life because I was introduced to this phenomenal program. And so you started working the steps, going through the program. And what did you find started happening to you? And what did you grow into now? Well, I found that my mindset started changing. I found that um, how powerless I was over the addiction I, and, and that it was a disease, you know, and that uh, there was a cure. But there was, I, I, I would, could go into remission, but there were things that I had to do, you know. And so I started working the steps because they told me, you know, go to meetings, 90 meetings in 90 days, get a sponsor, read the book, the literature, hook up with somebody you know, that your sponsor and start working the steps. And so once I started doing that, my life changed because I stopped thinking like a crook. I stopped thinking that people owed me something because I got to do the steps and I got to see and take responsibility for the things that I had done to other people. I became accountable, you know, and in my accountability, I was able to see that there were some things that were mine, truly. There were some things that I was taking on that really didn't belong to me, other things that had happened to me. And I learned how to forgive. But most of all, I learned how to forgive myself. I learned how to find a power greater than myself. And that was the amazing thing because once I found that and developed that relationship, because, see, I came in religious. You know, I was very religious because that was my family background. But through the steps, I found a way to live life on life's terms because the steps were are a design for living. You know, they give me something to do to keep me maintained on a daily basis, things that I have to do. It gave me an opportunity to go back and make a list of people that I'd done harm to. Some of them I couldn't make amends to, you know, and but I got to see that. And the most important thing was seeing me and my uh, character defects and the things that made me tick and that behavior and all those patterns from doing my fourth step. I got to really lay it out. And my first fourth step was was incomplete. And I think you know, I continuously do my fourth step. I uh, continue remind, remind us what the fourth step is. Continue to take per. No, I'm sorry. Um, take a take fearless and moral inventory of ourselves. A moral inventory, a fearless moral inventory, inventory of ourselves. Of ourselves, yes, and looking at ourselves and what our part is and how the things that we did, what it affected in our life, whether it was my self esteem, whether it was my um, security, or- my children, or. Um, my sexuality even, you know, there are categories that I had to look at. And that's allowed me to see the patterns that I had in my life, making that list. And so, um, you know, we've, we see the miracles every day, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, right, in these rooms. Um, how do you feel now? And like, where is your life now? What do you, what's got you feeling good and what are you doing? Well, I'm a, a full-time student. Um, I'll be graduating in May. Um, I have a 3.9 GPA. I'll be transferring to uh, um, the University of Berkeley. Woo! And, Congratulations. Uh, thank you. I've just, I'm a recipient of the Kennedy King Scholarship. I'm also in the process of interviewing for an AAU, American Association of University of Women. 
All right. And um, so I'm getting scholarship money, and I'm going on to Berkeley as a media studies student. Um, I'll leave with a um, liberal arts degree. I'll have a AA in theater with a concentration in acting and a communication and journalism AA for transfer to Berkeley for media studies. Wow, the list just goes on. <laughs> so just like looking back, you know, how these programs can transform our lives, you know, you're a shining example. You know, I, I owe it all to my higher power. Um, I really do. That's, that's, you know, I can't, my higher power can, and I'm going to let my higher power take me to the, to wherever. And it's endless and it's amazing. And I step and I'm empowered daily. And one of the things about the program is the being of service, you know, helping another alcoholic, you know, because after you have that spiritual awakening, we have to reach out and help other people. And that, and all the things that I did wrong in my life, my life today is a living amends. I keep playing it forward because I'm so grateful because I remember and I, and I go to meetings because I don't want to ever forget where I came from. I don't want to ever get too lofty and high in the clouds that I can forget what it was like to be a dope thing. You don't let the life AA gave you get in the life you have. Or how's it go? I got it right. <laughs> don't let the life AA gave you get in the way of AA. Absolutely. So you keep going back. Well, um, that's very exciting, Nazi. I'm very proud of you and excited for you. That's so amazing this, where you've gone to. Thank you. It's uh, a divine opportunity to actually become the person that I in- was intended to become. And I heard you say that, you know, you wasted 10 years. I wasted far more than 10 years. But, you know, one thing about the fellowship is we don't regret the past and nor do we wish to shut the door on it because that's what got us here. And we are grateful for what got us here because like you said earlier, we could be dead. That's right. Well, um, that's the voice of Ozzy and we are discussing addiction and most importantly, recovery. And again, I want to thank you for sharing Ozzy. Um, we're going to take a short music break and when we return, we'll hear more from Ozzy And we're interested in taking some of your calls. If you are a person struggling with addiction or a person in recovery or even a family member or a loved one of a person dealing with addiction, we want to hear how you're coping and dealing with your challenges. You can call during this music break and we can get you on the air. The number to call is 510-848-4425. That's 510-848-4425. We're going to take this short music break, and when we come back, um, we'll talk to Ozzy some more, and then we'll take some calls. Stay tuned.
All right, all right, all right. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Full Circle right here on 94.1 FM. I'm your host, Free Will and Franklin, and I'm joined live in the studio by Ozzy, a grateful recovering alcoholic. And Oz, we got a lot of callers on the line. Um, thanks for being on there, everybody. Hang on a couple minutes because we're going to talk to Oz real quick, and then we're going to take your calls. But I see the phone lines are full. Thank you for that. Um, Ozzy, we recently sat together a few times this past month, and it was March, the third month, the third step, um, which says we made a decision to turn our lives and our will over to the care of God as we understood him. And some alcoholics and addicts initially have a hard time with this step because of conflicting feelings about religion or because they just do not believe in God. Um, Also, AA is not allied with any sect or denomination, politics, organization, or institution. So how does this this God thing work? Because there's a lot of gods that we all know about. And so how does it work? Well, it actually says you made a decision to turn your will and your life over to the care of God as you understood him. And when I came in, I was religious. And I had to remove what I thought God was. And one of the simple things is because we allow you to have any type of God that you choose. And if you don't believe in God, we say, you know, you find a person that, you know, generally your sponsor and believe that they believe because you're finding, you're looking for someone to help you through the steps. So that's a good analogy when you first come in, if you don't believe, if you're atheist or agnostic. And as you work, the purpose of the steps is to help you build a relationship with a higher power. And I've seen many people come into the rooms who had no concept of what it was like to develop a relationship, but by working the steps, by submitting their will to say, well, I'm, I'm open. We just ask you to be open and willing. And eventually that gap will be filled. But that's a process. And all of this is a process. But you will definitely, when you become willing and honest, you will definitely develop a relationship. And sometimes we tell you, I know back in the, back in the day, they says, well, you can have a doorknob for your higher power, but believing that something greater than you, than yourself. And generally, people come around. And those that don't, they find that the steps are, are healing. And they're believing and seeing that something has kept them from the path of destruction because they could have been surely dead a hundred thousand times. And this is um, like, it's not religious, but it's a spiritual program and we claim um, spiritual growth, not spiritual perfection, right? right. So just... Having that, um, the willingness really to just believe that someone else believes, even if you don't, and you could watch their transformation and see what it's done for them. And the transformation and the stories that you hear and the people's lives that you watch come in, it's, it's amazing. You, be, you come, come to believe because you begin to witness it. We ask that you come in, you 90 meetings in 90 days, you know, get the literature, get a sponsor, and just come and be a part of that. And being a part of that, you'll get to witness people coming in and you get to see them coming in, not able to speak. And then in a couple of months, you're hearing them, they're recovering, they're starting to look good, you know, and you get to witness, witness that yeah. transformation. And so that encourages you. Yeah, it's it's a miracle. The miracles are all around us. Well, we have um, a full thing of callers. Let's not leave them hanging too long. And I see... Uh, 
Um, Fernando in Glendora, let's um, try that. How you doing, Fernando? You there? Hi. Yes, I am. Thank you. How you doing? What would you like to share tonight? Hi. I, I really enjoy the, the topic, and thank you, Ozzy, uh, for being uh, in so many places, so many times, doing a community service. Uh, you know, I know that when I entered AA, I myself have 24 years. I really enjoy my association with uh, the friendship of, of the people there. They have demonstrated how, how to live and how to have a, a God of my own understanding, which is easy does it. Not to get too lonely, too, too tired, and enjoy the process one day at a time. Thank you so much, Ozzy, for uh, uh, keeping, the, keeping it alive for so many people and having the opportunity to, uh, to enjoy truth and honesty in the rooms of AA. That's what I get. That's how I, I regulate myself. Well, thank you. It's it's all because I do have a higher power that I, I have a God in my life, the God of my understanding. Well, um, thank you for calling in, Fernando. We got a lot of callers on the line. We're going to take someone yeah. else. Thank you very much. Let's thank go. You so much. Thank you, Fernando. Thank Let's you. go to PJ in Concord. How are you doing, PJ? Are you out there? Oh, hey, it's TJ. Oh, sorry. It says PJ on the list, but TJ, how oh. are you doing? Ozzy, good to hear you. You've always been an inspiration, and it's just wonderful to hear you on the radio. Um, I myself, I feel like I'm I'm in in the program. Um, I feel like I'm a, still a newbie though, but I've got covered up two years, and it's it's changed my life in that it's changed my perspective, and it's made a difference. I feel that. The, the whole part at first, the whole part with uh, connecting to a higher power seemed ridiculous to me on day one when I entered the rooms because it was so foreign and I thought it meant I was a cat, uh, uh, I was in Catholicism before and I only thought of, of that God as something far and distant and cold and judgmental, um, especially when it comes to original sin and, you know, being so, I, I felt so disconnected. But once I went through the steps and came to understand God, well, well, not totally, but just to be connected, I, 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 I felt the difference, but that's because I, I decided, you know, well, nothing else is working and I can't do it on my own. That's after I, I had to exhaust my own, um, crap. Um, and I feel that for me, that was the only way I was doing it. Um, but thank God I finally made it to the room and I, I feel so much more confident within myself. And I have a, uh, I guess a faith I, uh, that I connect with. Um, and AA has taught me that it has taught me a lot about faith and that it's a moment to moment thing, you know, because that's how I had to do it. I had to stop, not drink at a moment and follow what my sponsor. Hey, uh, TJ, can you watch your language? We're not allowed to cuss on the air. Oh, I apologize. I'm sorry. That's all right. I think we got the button in time. Okay. Well, um, but anyway, thank you. 
thanks for sharing, um, TJ. We appreciate it. And um, thanks, TJ. Good work out there. Um, congratulations on two years. Congratulations. All right, we're gonna um, move on um, real quick. Let's go to Jerry in El Sobranti. How you doing, Jerry? Are you there? And um, please watch your language. <laughs> okay, shaking my head, shaking my head. Uh, first off, I got to say thank you very much. And I'm going to try to behave, but I want to say that I don't speak for anybody besides my own little butt here. Um, I've been blessed to be a member of probably every 12-step program ever invented. I qualified for most of them, but I had my happy little dare year saved November 21st, 1978. And, uh, and I would not be, I'm a veteran. I, uh, am currently, uh, in post-traumatic stress treatment, trauma treatment at the VA. And what I can tell you is I'd rather chew ground glass than go there on any given day. But there are fabulous people there. Um, in 1968, I was 18 years old, and I raised my hand and said I would defend this Constitution against all enemies, domestic and foreign, and I meant that. And I still mean it. And uh, it's uh, I've lived a life beyond my wildest dreams, got to tell you. I mean, everything I knew about living clean, you could have put in a thimble when I got clean. I was in Portland, Oregon. It was 1978. I knew people who were drinking Kool-Aid in Jonestown. And that's what I thought was in the back of the coffee cup. And I called it the All Alone Club in Portland, Oregon. It was the whitest place I'd ever seen in my life. And it was the most racist. And it felt like at that time, like they would call it just as to me in my disease, in my dis-ease. My, you know, I'd been living the high cost of low living, but I was in denial. Because, see, back in the day, I worked at the Head Ashbury Free Clinic. I went there, you know, they sent me to the Presidio to learn about prosthetics because I like medicine. You know, I was like one of those kids, five years old, you know. My dad was a veteran. He had post-traumatic stress. I thought he was a hero because he was the 101st Airborne. He liberated Auschwitz. I grew up, I went to high school in Skokie, Illinois, with Holocaust survivors that babysat for them. And when I came to the West Coast as an adult, like, there's so much disinformation, misinformation, and lies. Because I got a bunch of degrees upon me, behind my name. Because I was always curious. I was trying to figure stuff out. I could make this funny, too. Like, you know, like in second grade, I was a conspiracy theorist. I was cast in a play going, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Because I grew up a child of a lie. My mama was my angel. My daddy was my devil. And I never know who was coming in the door, Diablo or, you know, the Virgin Mary. And so it, you know, it twisted my thinking. You know, twisted my thinking. I had polio as a child because the government couldn't get it in the hood in Chicago. You know, but I made a complete recovery from that. You know, my dad was fabulous. We, I grew up on boats and stuff. You know, in 1978, I walked in the rooms and there was an alley dude. And I, I didn't believe, I, you know, my higher power hit a bottom before me. You feel me? Because like, I, I called the treatment center to blackout. Something wanted me alive. Today, I have a, a, a spiritual perspective about that. But half the, quite as it's good, half the fellowship of AA were atheists and agnostics, if you read the literature. I used to love to go to AA and talk about facts, facts, not alternate facts, the truth. 
because I went to school to study addiction because I didn't want this disease. I thought I could control it because I was a medic. I'm a combat trained medic. I can, you know, I save lives, you know, drunk. San Francisco, some guy in the, in the Castro. I had my little acid, little kangaroo. You know, this ain't a speaker's meeting. You know, people want to talk. I don't want to bogart the line. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. You're thank my you, Friday Jerry. Night role. And uh, my son was murdered in Portland two years ago as a direct result of historical trauma. And I went home to Portland, Oregon, to the people who saved my ass. And they saved it again. People in ceremonies. Because, you know, I, I got a light shade of melanin, but I've been adopted by people of color. And I'm a loyal soldier. So what I do when I get crazy at the VA, I go out and I look for humanity. You know, I was recently homeless. If it can happen to me and I'm white, 40 years clean, got a whole lot of skill, it can happen to anybody. I lost my ID. Don't lose your ID in America. Oh, and Jerry, um, we really Jerry, thank you for, I love you. We thank thank you for, for sharing. Your, thank you for your ancestors that brought you there. I burst into tears when I heard you had 15 years on the air. You saved lives. Well, thank you. We're going to um, take another caller, but we really appreciate you calling in. We're sorry for your um, your loss. Okay, let's, um, thank you, Jerry. Let's move on to Joanne in Sacramento. How you doing, Joanne? Are you there? Oh, Jerry, sorry. How you doing? You're going to have to turn your radio down in the background. Um, we might have to go to Keith in San Jose. Keith, how are you doing? Oh, hi. Uh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. And uh, thank you for uh, the last caller. It's very interesting. Uh, I've only uh, experienced my addiction, uh, you know, being 32. Uh, I've been uh, smoking weed since I was, like, in high school. And my other addiction is uh, porn because I have, like, an addictive personality where like, I feel like I have to be addicted to something and at this point you know trying to like be addicted to something more positive like running or i don't know something else would would be like my solution to filling in that addiction that i need to have that would be uh have you tried have you tried the 12-step programs uh yeah i was uh doing slaa for my um my you know sex love and uh, addiction to, to sex and love, you know, and I think that the porn thing kind of has some relation to that, you know, because I, I have to have like that quick satisfaction, you know, like I, that, that, that quick, you know, uh, reward myself for something, you know, with, with entertainment, like if it's like watching Netflix all the time or playing video games all the time. Like, I have to be looking at something. I have to have something entertain me from, you know, to keep myself from, you know, being depressed or just going into that whole um, circle of depression, you know? Keith, I want to thank you for your call. We're coming to the end of the show, and I have a couple announcements to make, but I appreciate your calling, and um, good luck with your program, and I hope it works out for you. But thanks for sharing tonight. And um, real quickly, before we move on, I want to just give um, a couple announcements here. And if I could find my other one about the Poor People's Campaign, I might need a copy of that if anybody's got the Poor People's Campaign information. I have it here somewhere. Oh, here it is. Sorry about that, everybody. Um, 
one quick announcement. Tomorrow, Saturday, April 6th, the Bay Area Poor People's Campaign holds a teach-in, the Poor People's Hearing for the Bay Area. The hearing focuses on homelessness, mass incarceration, and the criminalization of poverty. It's the Oakland stop on a statewide Poor People's Bus Tour. Um, the hearing occurs tomorrow, Saturday, April 6th, from 2 to 4 p.m. at the Taylor Memorial United Methodist Church, 1188 12th Street in West Oakland. For more information on this and other events, visit thepoorpeoplescampaign.org, and we have a link to that on our website, kpfaapprentice.org. Also, real quick, before I wrap up with Ozzy here, the apprenticeship program is still accepting applications. Um, yes, the window is still open. We had a problem with our website, and people could not download applications. So in order to um, help folks out to get involved, we have reopened the window. Please, if you want to do something like we're doing now, apply to the apprenticeship program, kpfaapprentice.org. O-R-G. Well, let me get ready to wrap up with Ozzy here because we had um, a couple last things. Oz, I wanted to ask you, first, let me thank you for coming and sharing so openly and for all the the words of inspiration I've heard over the last few months. Um, thank you very much. Um, I do want to ask before you go, if you had any words of advice for anyone out there who may be hearing us tonight and is thinking, is this for me? Can this help me or my loved one? Um what would you say to that person? I would suggest that they call the central office if they're alcoholic, the AA um, central office, if it's uh, narcotics, of NA, or if a family member, Al-Anon, um, call and get some literature because we have, <clears throat> excuse me, we have pamphlets that accommodate a variety of different um, issues. And we even have a pamphlet that has questions, and you can answer those questions. And if those questions, if you answer so many of them affirmatively, then maybe you have a problem, and definitely there is some help. And there's a 24-hour hotline that you can call for both AA and NA, and there's going to always be someone there manning the phones because this is what we do. We are of service. We want to love you until you learn to love yourself. Yes. We want to guide you. We want to empower you and know that you are worth it. And one of the things that I believe is when you come in, get in the middle of the herd. Don't stay on the outside looking in. Come in and join. Be a part of. Because the first word in the first step is we. We do this together. When it was founded by great founders, it was one addict helping another that got him well. And so that's what we do. Ozzy, again, um, thank you so much for uh, joining us tonight. This is bringing us to the end of tonight's show. I believe I'm going to do another recovery show in the first week of March, so stay tuned for that. This does bring us to the end of tonight's show. Tune in next week. I believe it's Mari at the uh, on the mic. Um, our executive producer is Miss M. Our technical technical director is myself, Prewell and Franklin. Joy Moore is our production consultant. Again, I have been your host, uh, Prewell and Franklin, with Ozzy. Thanks to Kenny C. on the board and Theodora and Sharon Peterson as tech assistant. Thank you very much. Stay tuned. Next is La Onda Bajita. <laughs>